Welcome to an Axe of the Blood God special interview with the developers at Red Hook Studios. We are going to be talking about Darkest Dungeon and Darkest Dungeon 2 a little bit at least. And we are going through the kind of the history of its development, uh, various aspects of its development in order to get them to defend turn-based combat. I had originally intended this to be part of a normal episode of Axe of the Blood God, specifically the one that just went up with Suikoden 2, but it ended up being pretty long, and I didn't really want to cut it back too much, and I also didn't want the episode to be like two and a half hours long, even though I know some people like that kind of thing. So I thought that I would split it out for all of you Darkest Dungeon fans out there. And if you're not familiar with Darkest Dungeon, that's all right, because I, you know, I kind of explain it and everything, and we talk about some of the basic concepts and everything. If you haven't tried it, I really encourage you to do so but okay so we're going to move on and we're going to talk to chris and tyler about darkest dungeon what went right what went wrong the switch port the combat and everything else let's get going okay joining me now is Chris Barasa and Tyler Sigmund from Red Hook Studios. They are developers on Darkest Dungeon. Tyler's been on the show before. He was here back when Darkest Dungeon first came out. Uh, many, uh, a lot of water has passed under the bridge. A lot of heroes have died horrible, horrible, horrible deaths <laughs> down in the darkest dungeons below the blood god loves the darkest dungeon. Um, I was a huge fan of Darkest Dungeon when it came out. I've played multiple games uh since then and i guess the question that i kind of want to start out with now that you've announced darkest dungeon 2 and you're moving on to your new project is how did darkest dungeon 1 kind of change you guys well let's start with the professional i mean i think um it was just a great experience to literally start from chris and i in a, in a room with a bunch of dreams and then uh, i mean we, we were already developers in the industry but um, and had kind of, you know, made some of our own projects before at various places. And, um, but Chris and I, you know, had wanted to do something together for a long time. And so it's pretty cool to see that whole, you know, now there's an arc to it, you know, for a long time, it was just the, oh my God, we got to make this game and make it, you know, and try to make sure that we don't, uh, lose the ability to pay rent and things like this in the meantime. Uh, and now, now, you know, we've got the whole story of we set out to do something. We really had faith in the idea that we did it and then it ended up working. And so you, you have to transition out of that, like, oh my God, how do we start this up process now to the, okay, the, the, the ship is running and going full speed. Now we got to steer it. How much has Red Hook Studios grown since the original Darkest Dungeon came out? Quite a lot. Um, we started with, uh, yeah, like Tyler said, just the two of us. And then uh, I think we had about five core people, not counting our composer and, and narrator and um, audio partners. Um, but not counting those guys, it was about five internal that launched uh, the first game. And now we have, I think, close to 14, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mostly in Vancouver, some are distributed. Uh, and we're we're probably going to add a couple of more as we as we kind of go through the next phases of uh, of production. So it's a pretty significant shift, and we've been trying to go slow because, you know, we don't want to just throw a bunch of people who don't know each other into the mix. I think part of the reason why the first game worked, and certainly why the experience was, you know, I think profoundly positive for me was just we get to work with people that we knew had always wanted to work with knew they would be reliable in a pinch and and we got to grow relationships with people that we you know already had a significant amount of, of trust and confidence in so i think it's important for us like as we move forward to keep that in mind and and you know build the team out of people that are uh, like-minded and that kind of thing so anybody who isn't familiar with darkest dungeon the basic premise is that heroes well, i put heroes in air quotes uh they're kind of the scum of the scum darkest scum i suppose you have your jesters and your highwaymen and your robber grave robbers and plague doctors are all coming through and you're putting them into parties and sending them into what effectively is hell, uh, even to the point that there's Lovecraftian beasts who will appear when it's dark 
in the dark in the darkest dungeon, and your goal is to just keep leveling them up, leveling them up, leveling them up to the point where you can actually invade the darkest dungeon. Uh, it's a turn based game. Uh, y- there are a lot of really interesting party combos. Uh, there's a large survival element to it where you are trying to stay alive as long as possible. And of course, there's a narrator who is telling you about how everything could go wrong horribly at any possible moment. <laughs> uh, it really stood out to me because of its outstanding artwork, for one thing. Uh, the narrator, of course. The, the sound design. The the creature design, which was just ugh, gross. Um and uh, also just the really interesting depth of putting together all of the different parties and everything. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how has your kind of understanding of the format of Darkest Dungeon evolved over time? Because it's been, you know, four years, multiple expansions. It's, uh, it's cool to see, like, people, like, one thing we always wanted from the get-go that that I think people latched onto was just the variety of party comps and, and how you could kind of swap guys in and out. And and that would open up different opportunities, not just mechanically, but, um, you know, a little, a little thematically as well. So it's cool to see that really land. Um, but we were really surprised. I'm, I'm teeing Tyler up to, to talk about this, but, um, we were really surprised that like the whole linchpin of the game, this idea that, like flawed heroes can get overwhelmed with stress and then behave unpredictably. We called it this, the affliction system. Um, we were shocked that we hardly had to touch that during early access and that it did enough of what it set out to do that most of players' concerns and, and where we spent most of our development time was really on balanced tuning and, and more content and not really on this like tentpole system, you know, that we were sort of crossing our fingers would, would land for people. It was, it was pretty surprising to me that we didn't have to sort of constantly revisit that in light of player feedback. And, and really um, most of our efforts were focused, focused elsewhere, despite the, the proposition of the game being like, you know, held up by this affliction system. Yeah, I could see it being extremely tricky to balance because not only do you have to worry about the fact that once a character becomes afflicted, they have the potential to do a huge amount of damage to your party just by virtue of the fact that they might be cutting themselves or moving around in in line or refusing to move or whatever. Like getting afflicted is the worst. (laughs) Yeah, and it's fun to play with agency that way. Yeah, like missing a turn has a, you know, it's all a matter of kind of when it happens, you know, if you're in a trivial fight and you're doing pretty well and it just, you know, that character happens to be afflicted and they miss a turn, you're kind of like, eh, no big deal. But if it happens, you know, at the worst possible time, (coughs) you know, when you're facing a boss or something. And I think that texture, um, that, that sort of, I guess, mechanical and probabilistic probabilistic texture leads to a lot of narrative texture in terms of you creating your own tale with these heroes. And I think that um, some of these things were like the understanding of the game, I I guess like where I'm going with this point is kind of cool that it's been now what a little over five years since we started development on dark Dungeon. Is that right? We started in 2013. Yeah. That's Um, crazy. Yeah. And so certain ideas up front were always there. Like what we wanted to do with the affliction system, you know, all that have been really sort of like um, continuous through the whole process, but how we did it, um, you know, took some time to figure out. And as to your question of kind of the understanding, I think a really neat thing is the way we built the game and the way it happened and being able to go through early access and things like that um, has allowed us to um, basically, grow and get more and more familiar with our own game as it went. Uh, and, and so c- certain ideas, you know, never really evolved. And that's a good thing in terms of our goal, what we wanted to do. But, you know, we, we understand the game a lot better now. That's, you know, one reason we're excited to work on a sequel is we just felt there's more, there's more we want to do. You know, I think uh, it's such a rare opportunity in games to be able to kind of like, double down on what you've already built. I mean, you know, it's a lot of times you're changing technology and games every, you know, or, you know, you're doing a totally different game, every project. And we were really excited to do more because um, we feel like, you know, we, we just now got our whole like palette of colors and learned how to paint and sorry for the artistic uh, analogy, because I'm not an artist. So Chris is probably cringing, but 
um, you know, it's like you, you finally get set up and now it's time to like continue building on that instead of being like, okay, let's tear it all down and, you know, start from scratch. We're not having to start from scratch. Yeah, it was interesting too. Cause like a lot of the ideas, you know, we talked about a couple of different ways of, of moving forward into a second game. Um, but they were all, all the serious discussions were around something to do with darkest dungeon. Not, not from, not from any other standpoint than really, we just have a lot of enthusiasm for it and, feel strongly that there's there's a lot more we can do with it uh one of the things with darkest dungeon that it it happened to me i know that it happened to a a fair number of people is that uh, the the way that the game is structured is such that you go through the initial run of dungeons you fight a whole bunch of bosses that become familiar to you and then you move up to the next level the more intermediate level you fight those bosses again the advanced level fight those bosses again and then finally get to the darkest dungeon and uh I know a lot of people kind of have run out of steam a little bit of uh, fighting the the same run of bosses again in the in the second tier, and I'm wondering if this is something that you also observed, and if it's affected your kind of approach to Dark's Dungeon Two. Actually, in Dark's Dungeon Two, there's only one boss, and you only fight him <laughs> again and again and again for for, for 85 hours. Um, yeah, we realized that <laughs> 12 bosses or whatever was just dividing your focus too much <laughs> um yeah we we saw that i think that actually is speaks to a bigger point about like um the game being very long and and people uh finding a bit of fatigue uh, as they move through it and uh i think certainly that's a fair critique of the first game despite the fact that you know we've we've done a whole bunch of patching around trying to mitigate that um i think it goes back to our early access structure where we wanted to hold the end game back so that like our 1.0 launch day was like a big deal even if you've been playing the game for a little while because we we didn't add the the final darkest dungeon until uh our full year and early access was complete and uh the the consequence of that choice was that we had no clear metrics on on a large scale of, of how long it actually takes to beat the game or how long people typically spend in the mid game for example um and because we were you know we didn't have an end-to-end timeline set up so but we're definitely cognizant of that you know moving forward and we've talked about it a lot internally and and i think like although we are doing more darkest dungeon we are doing a sequel um we're certainly not it's not the same game again we're we're changing a lot and we're very mindful of of kind of where the first game fell short no no that's fine i didn't mean to stop on you um yeah i think goal wise for example uh it was never like a, 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 a intention or pillar for us, you know, to be like, we want to make it a hundred hour game to, to, uh, to complete. Uh, we, you know, that, that was never something we, ne- we set out to do. Um, it was more of a byproduct of just, you know, focusing on all the systems and trying to make an interesting play experience and, um, and make sure that, you know, like it was far more important to us that your decisions matter. Um, and so, you know, it ended up kind of being, you know, honestly longer than we would like, because we want you to see all the content. We, you know, it's, it's sad for us when people don't get to see the darkest dungeon or, um, you know, things like that. And that led to the creation of the radiant mode patch, which tries to dramatically reduce mid and late game grind. Um, but even that, you know, there was uh, limited, it's impossible to remove um, what am I trying to say? There's like limited amounts to do within the infrastructure that was already set up. Um, and, you know, we love that metagame loop. I think it's been very successful, you know, in terms of just the, the way the metagame structured, but, um, but yeah, it wasn't really like a goal to make a long game for long game's sake. And I think those learnings are definitely something we're taking into the second one because we, um, you know, just by way of analogy, like I, I would love for, everyone who have played darkest dungeon to be able to see the darkest dungeon and see all the content and get the story, you know, get the story and the wrap up and all that kind of stuff and then play again. Cause you know, the game is replayable. It's, it's not really like um, you're, you're not playing it only for the story. So once you've seen it all, um, it doesn't really spoil um, the experience. Um, you know, we, we don't want to make it like you have to be in the top 5% to see that whole experience. So um we are definitely looking at what are the top reasons that people bounce off Darkest Dungeon and, you know, how can we, uh, I don't want to say like it's our goal to reach everyone because it's never been our goal to reach everyone. We want to service the people that love it 
but if there's ways we can like sand off some of the edges that bounce people off, that might be good. Yeah, or just not make the same mistake twice. Like if there's fresh critiques of Darkest Dungeon 2, which I'm sure there will be, it would be nice if one of them isn't, wow, these guys made another super long, super middle-heavy experience. You know, I would just love to be critiqued for something different the second time out. Yeah, but what we, um, in case those you know listening are um, panicking, what we don't want to compromise is um, your decisions are crucial and matter. They have consequences. Um, it can be hard. You know, we, we have no interest in making a game that's um, not difficult in some way, but we want, you know, the goal is for it to be rewarding um, and, and for you to feel that even when you, when you fail, it was time well spent, you know, and I think those, those are important to us. With your expansions, so you played around with the form a little bit. The, the first expansion uh, had you going through this, enormous maze like truly enormous maze um and it had the ability to get your heroes infected with the blood plague and everything and then with a uh, color of madness which came out i think last year uh you added a different way it was almost kind of like waves fighting waves of enemies and trying to last as long as possible if i'm uh correct me if i'm wrong i never got around to playing color of madness my apologies um so I- i'm curious like what did you learn from those expansions and like, did you see things in them that you liked and kind of want to carry over into the sequel? Well, I think we just tried to do something different each time we, we came out with something. So like, you know, we really wanted to try these exhaustive long dungeons where, you know, you, you can come back and your progress is saved. And we wanted to sort of wrap the coils of the, the Crimson Court expansion, like into the main game. We thought it would be exciting and interesting to really, shake up the the meta gameplay not just the monsters that you're fighting um and then as a as a counter to that when we did color of madness we wanted something that was more uh, of a combat sandbox and really allowed um both players who are learning and also advanced players to tinker and and experiment with different comps and builds and loadouts in a relatively permissive environment because even if you lose your guys in, in color of madness even if they die in, in a fight um they only get out of commission for a week, unlike the rest of the game where they're permanently dead. And that was just because we wanted to incentivize people to actually try different things in that mode. So I think our philosophy is always like, we don't want to just do the same thing again and again. It would have been very easy to just make another dungeon, throw in five or six enemies and put that up for sale. Um, But for us, we want to make sure that we're pushing ourselves as developers you know, and, and that same philosophy is carrying forward into the second game. We could we could opt to recreate the first game with some new content and some fresh presentation, but we're really trying to push things a lot further uh, mechanically and, and, and creatively. Yeah, we even learned, um, you know, learning on the job sounds silly, but, you know, we, we, we learned from our own sort of experimentations. And like Chris is saying, we want to do different things and we're not afraid to try things that maybe don't end up um, I don't know, like they, they have their flaws, just like the heroes, you know, like, so I think Crimson Court is like oozing with um, substance and there's so much packed in there and it, it can ratchet up the difficulty of the game because of the Crimson Curse. Um, and I mean, the bosses are really interesting and uh, involved and the, you know, the, the, like you mentioned, the, the quests and the dungeons, the mazes, um, you know, we, we sort of blew it out and, I mean, honestly, I think there's like an enormous amount of content packed in there and we sold it for $9.99. But one of the downsides is, you know, which we didn't really think about was for all new players that are coming, you know, and then maybe they buy the bundle right off the bat. And they're like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I'm going to enable Crimson Court because I just bought this awesome. (laughs) Wouldn't I? It's new content, right? Yeah. And it's really not a good first playthrough experience. Um, So, you know, so when we did, you know, I know like when we made Color Madness, um, we were, it was definitely talked about that we're like, we want to add cool stuff, but not, uh, not make you feel like, oh, this is, this is ruining your ability to play, play the game normally. So for example, um, you know, when you have color madness enabled, you can just kind of, um, you can engage with it or not. And it, it, it's really just all, I don't know. It's more opt-in. Yeah, it's opt-in. So you can, you know, it, it's cool. And we definitely would encourage, you know, any new purchasers, go ahead and enable it. It's not going to hurt you. It's there when you want to dabble in it. 
but you know, if you start with with crimson court enabled, um, then you know it, it'll it'll reach out its tendrils and get you. Um, and you know, but crimson court in a lot of ways represents what dark extension is. It's like you know, it's sort of out of your control to make all this work. But Dark's Dungeon is already that way anyway, and so it can be a little bit like um, too much for like a new player. So you know, we, um, you know, that's a good example maybe of how you know we learn from some of the things that bounce people off um, of how we take some of those learnings maybe in a second. But but I don't want to sound like I'm slogging on Crimson Core because I think it's it's an amazing like honestly I just think it's a good piece of work and I say that because like of all the effort that went into it and. Um, but there's like different ways to kind of attack this problem when you're building on top of a game that is already designed to be kind of harsh and challenging. So looking back at the actual character classes, there are a lot of really memorable characters in there. I like the abomination, which can turn into a monster at the expense of, uh, creating a lot of uh, stress for your party, that kind of thing. I'm curious, uh, which character kind of really worked out the best for you where you're like, yes this concept ended up being perfect. We're really satisfied with everything. Which one kind of became the most challenging in terms of balance or uh, working on that kind of thing? It's a good question. It's hard. I love them all so much. (laughs) (laughs) They're all interesting in their own way, aren't they? I'm glad you're not sick of them, Chris. Because, you know, Chris, like, obviously, Chris does the, um, Chris is the artist as well. I mean, uh, we have uh, additional artists on staff now too, but, you know, Chris does the character designs and, um, so, I mean, I think it's a good sign that you're not sick of them because I don't know, you know, sometimes you make something and after you've, after you've dealt with it for a couple of years, you're like, I'm just want to get on to anything new, you know? Um, so. Yeah, no, I, I don't feel that way at all. I actually really excited. We're, we're really focusing on the characters a lot uh, going forward and it'll be really cool to explore them a little bit more, but I think like... <laughs> I have my favorites, but my favorites aren't the ones that I think are necessarily the best examples of that. Like, I think ultimately the the most the most darkest dungeon character I think is the is the leper. To be honest, yeah, I think it's the most unconventional class. I think we paid it off with like you don't you know it deadens your nerve endings, so he he's really tanky, and, and he and I think we made him interesting by making him sort of low accuracy, but hits like a like a freight train when you handle him properly. And then visually, I, I think his um, idealized male body chest plate is kind of like a nice, sad, ironic touch to what's probably actually going on under there. And, uh, you know, the broken sword for the for the broken man kind of thing is a good uh, good metaphor. So I think, like, visually, mm-hmm. mechanically, he he typifies kind of maybe or he's one of the best examples of, like, what we're after with, with a successful character design that we feel like is really aligned with our IP. Yeah, um, he was also, like, he was a noticeable moment when we... It's true. W- when we worked on him where we were like, yes. You know, so I think, like... Um, I don't know. He just represented kind of like an affirmation for, for Chris and I, I just remember the discussion because it was like, you know, yes, we, we need to be bold like this. Like this is, this is on the right track. This is going to like shock people in a way. Right. Just cause it's so it's, it's just weird. Um, it's, it's weird and interesting. And then um, the theme led to great mechanics, you know, like you were saying there, Chris with combat, but also like camping became interesting because, yep you know, it's, it's just like the skills almost wrote themselves because it's like, oh, you know, he wants to relax. Well, how does he relax? Like letting himself be shown. Well, that freaks everyone else out. Um, you know, and it, it, uh, and it really, to be clear, like uh, we weren't playing that for humor. Um, it, it was just trying to like really pay that off of like, you know, here's the, you know, I, I don't know. They're all kind of wayward characters, which I think are like really um, paid off well in the, in the comics that um, the single page origin comics that um, Chris and Trudy um, made and people can find those out on the web now or um, um, yeah. And uh, so they're all wayward characters, but I think the leper was just a great um, embodiment of like how we need to kind of sidestep you know, because some of the classes are a lot more direct, you know, a crusader or whatever, which still had its point as like, we didn't want to just do quote fighter where we were like, okay, what makes a crusader weird is, you know, they're, they're like super zealous. Um, but 
Yeah, the religious fanatic. <laughs> yeah, like religious fanatic. But it, but it, it really, you know, Leopard just kind of was like, yeah, we need, we need to get weird. Yeah, I think visually too, like the the Plague Doctor lands, and I'm glad that we were sort of one of the f- first waves breaking that shore. Like, mm-hmm. I think they've grown in popularity since. I'm not attributing that to us. Just to be clear, I'm just saying, like, I, think I we, take credit for it. We, it's all good. We managed to get in a little early on the Plague Doctor game. Yeah. Um, which was good. So I think she works visually. And I really liked that yeah. um, we made her a woman. I grew up playing mm. Metroid and I always really respected that, that reversal of expectations. So when I still see Reddit posts of people saying like, you know, the plague doctor, you know, he's really cool. And then someone corrects them. I, I always get a little sort of hit of dopamine there. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's also like the pyro and team fortress too. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's fun yeah. to sort of have that layered in there and then let players kind of come to it and, sometimes challenge their own assumptions but yeah, uh wise, play doctor has been really key for a lot of our it, it's just really distinctive um and recognizable and so like she keeps i don't know she i'm just thinking of like the polls we've done and a lot of the marketing we've done like she's um yeah a really good uh like piece of the brand identity i guess this could be the whole podcast honestly because yeah. we yeah. even did like an internal ranking system for all because we have like 16 characters now and uh you know they can't all be your favorite right so we did an internal ranking system to try and see you know in the bleak future if we had to cut it down to six or something you know which is not i'm not saying that's what we're doing that's not what we're doing but um it was really hard like the results were very contentious and people were very passionate about like you know which characters that that they felt absolutely had to be you know, to to remain versus which could get cut. And it was really interesting to see. And I think really affirming because like no one, there was a few overlaps, but generally speaking, the results were pretty widespread, which I think means that as a cast, they're, they're fulfilling their role of appealing to, uh, to different people in different ways. Yeah. I think it's interesting. uh, If you forgive me, uh, I think it's interesting the way that you introduce everybody out with the, the highwaymen and the, the crusader, just to be like, oh, yeah, and these are fairly conventional. And then pretty soon, a lot of really unconventional classes start coming in. And there is a, a real process of going from the fairly accessible, easy to understand, straightforward, traditional classes like Crusader, and then into the much more esoteric classes like Definitely Leper is a good example of that. Abomination too, I think. I mean, and to be mm. clear, we we worked with a, a backer uh, on that character who, who really wanted a werewolf type character. And, and, you know, the same way we didn't do vampires the regular way, I didn't want to do a werewolf the, the regular way either. Um, and I think in the end, uh, th- that character turned out really cool. There's a lot of superhero DNA in, in our cast of characters. Like, uh, you know, he's Bruce Banner and the Hulk and you know, we've got sort of a Batman with the with the bounty hunter, and uh, you know, the the leper is you know kind of prototypically Iron Man. You know, the the weak man inside a suit of metal, and got the kind of same the mask evokes it. Um, so there's a lot of that sort of X Men superhero iconography that I tried to work in, at least visually, and and certainly into their origin stories, which uh, Tyler mentioned during the comics. And I think that really works to help sort of build a timelessness to the cast. So, which character ended up needing the most work, ultimately? And when I say most work, I mean from a balance standpoint, mechanical standpoint. Flagellant, maybe? Um, That's a good question. Yeah. uh, Well, actually, I think the Jester. um, (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. definitely the Jester. It's either too OP or too weak. Mm -hmm. What's that? It's either too OP or too weak. Yeah, and, and you know what? Balance is tricky because you, you want to be like, oh, well, what is the actual purpose? Because, like, one thing um, I know I've sort of spoken about a few times on is that we never set out to make the characters e- evenly balanced. Um, but the point is each character needs to have a role. There needs to be a time when you're like, I really need this character, um, whether that's a particular dungeon or a boss um, or, you know, things like that. So we, we sort of went in um, being accepting of the idea that someone might say, oh, you know, I'd, I'd rather have a Crusader, you know, 9% of the time than a blank, as long as 10% of the time you really need the blank. <laughs> but, um, but over time, you know, you, 
that gets like smushed a little bit because I, I think people, you know, um, fans' natural inclination is make everything balanced. You know, they're going to uh, want you to make things balanced, even though honestly, I think they don't necessarily always know what they're asking for in terms of um, what that means. You know, we we like we like there to be spiky bits, but that doesn't mean there isn't imbalance that needs correct. And we definitely struggled with that on a lot of classes, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. um, but Jester was tough because, um, you know, the Jester's role above all was stress healing. Um, and he, I think he came out of the gate pretty good like that. Um, people were like, well, this class is kind of weird. I don't know. And then all of a sudden within a week, it's like people were running dark runs, you know, with a Jester and never had to worry about stress. And we're like, oh, okay, that's, that's too much. <laughs> So then, you know, we dial it back and then people are like, why would I ever take a jester now? Uh, you know, <laughs> then we then buff we, him with the building from Crimson Court and these one-shotting bosses on the first turn. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, we can't do that. <laughs> make sure he's combat, you know, let's make sure his combat's interesting. And now I guess we were the joke in the end. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but he was, he was fun. And I remember like, um, like he went through several like kind of full kit revisions. Um, Chris had some great ideas on like really trying to pay out the musical aspect into his moves. And that's where like kind of his, like his surviving kit still has a lot of that in there with, with like kind of setups and, you know, the finale and all that kind of stuff. And so I think he's, he's pretty interesting cause he still, you know, performs that stress healing role, but he's also can be, you know, really interesting in, in combat. And, but he, he definitely, you know, I think even today, um, you know, I think there's probably a bunch of people that are like, he's either too weak or too strong, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's been problematic. I think another, um, this is more just for the comic aspect, but, um, the whole character wasn't so bad, the bounty hunter, but he's had a few skills that were tough and the, the old hook and slice skill just gave me fits for ages. I think it's been through like four complete revisions changes i don't even know what it is right now i i forget because it's been through so many changes <laughs> um can you confirm whether or not the entire cast is coming back for dark ascension 2 what we can say is that you will see some of your favorite heroes in dark ascension 2 okay um where we want to we want to play with the with the same cast we want to like actually um integrate like the the comics are probably seen by like 10 percent of our audience and so we want to really integrate their origins and their backstories into the game itself i would be remiss to promise at this early date that everybody's coming back so I'm not going to, I'm not saying that, um, but it's this. But it's we're a, not saying they're not. Yeah. I don't want to be evasive for its own sake, but I just, I don't want to promise something that, you know, ultimately we don't, we don't ever get there or we decide to inject some new blood into the roster. Um, but as it sits right now, um, our goal is, yeah, absolutely to bring back um, as, as many of them as, as we can, maybe not all on first commercial release. Um, but we also want to kind of like, I always love getting the next Street Fighter game because it's like all your old favorites are there and then they put, you know, Cody and he's got just escaped from jail and he can throw sand. Um, you know, it's cool to to bring out a, a new character as well. So I think we want to we want to try to adopt a bit of that mentality. So, I mean, Chun-Li and E-Honda and Guile and all those guys are, are going to make their way back, but we want to have a few surprises. And, you know, the nature of development is like, if we're going to do something new, then we can't also do the same amount of work on something old. So, you know, it might not all come out all at the same time. We might not get to every single character, but we're definitely playing with the same cast um, it, to, a, to a greater or lesser degree. I'm curious, have you given any thought to, for example, having multiple versions of the same character? Uh, because all of the, all of the characters currently have one variant. Um, they have different colors, but you can't say, uh, equip accessories that show on the characters uh, or have different versions of various characters to kind of, uh, you know, mix it up a little bit. Have you got, given any thought to that aspect of it? I, I'm thinking we're still want to be pretty mum on a lot of things. Um, so I don't know. I, th I think I think it would be safe to say that we want, like we've treated them in the comics as, as being like a single character, like the grave robber has an origin story and that is more 
how we're thinking about things going forward. I see. So it's not necessarily, uh, here are 20 versions of the same person. Wow, they have a lot of siblings. It's, this is one person and they have a story and we want to tell. Yeah, I think that's more in line philosophically with where our head's been at. And I'm using those words carefully because, you know, like I said, we're, we have a, we have a ways to go in development and we're trying to keep things mm. pretty close to the chest just right now. But certainly we're thinking more of the characters that way than we are in like, here's the man-at-arms and his 600 man-at-arm brothers, <laughs> you know, that, that you can just feed into this gaping dungeon mouth i'm um, getting the image of ned flanders and all of his brothers uh yeah exactly. oakley yeah. oakley <laughs> it makes me laugh when i see streamers that like label their characters like crusader three crusader four <laughs> yeah you, know, you just know like oh they've been through so many that they just don't even want to name them anymore and uh which is kind of you know amazing in itself um like chum you know they're just all chum <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and and that worked really well for the structure uh, of the first game. Yeah. And, it, and it would have been weird to only have like one of every guy, but then have the metagame work the way it does. So, But again, as we mentioned in that PC Gamer article, we, we're doing some dramatic changes to the metagame that you know we're not really going to comment on specifically, but um, it is, it's a fundamentally different metagame experience. And as a result, we may not approach the cast the same way. I think it's just the bottom line is we really want the next game to stand on its own and and it's going to inherit a lot of DNA from its older brother, but uh, it's got to be its own experience. It can't just be um, a more polished or larger scoped version of the first game. Um, Tyler says it a lot. And I think it's definitely a good pillar to come back to that. uh, We want people to be able to buy both games and get a different experience out of them. So just because you own two doesn't mean you can't go back and, and get some, some fresh experiences out of one. And vice versa. So looking at the original Darkest Dungeon, it started life obviously as a PC game, a point-and-click PC game. And then eventually it made its way to multiple platforms, including the Vita, the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, uh, iPad, basically everything. Uh, But there have been some comments about how the UI and UX experience was a little rough at points. Uh, I'm curious, like, what did you learn from this experience of porting this Darkest Dungeon to all of these different platforms? Well, okay, I just want to jump out ahead of this. We had no idea that the game would be as successful as it was. So we designed it to be a PC keyboard and mouse game like from the ground up. And I think in a lot of cases, designed ourselves into a corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, those are, I'm sure we verbatim probably said this like we'll deal with that when we get to it like (laughs) like if we need to figure out how to make this work with the controller like that's a good problem to have um and then suddenly it becomes suddenly that was the problem we had (laughs) yeah and then then you're like well i don't love this problem now now that i'm in it um yeah i I think that um i don't know we, we ui is is a is a tough thing and i think like um you know, we, we did a lot of the game with the with the skeleton crew, you know, and um, I, I think we're, this is kind of true across the board, like because of the success, we're able to make some investments in in staff, um, you know, to, to try to be able to put the right expertise and horsepower on different things that maybe before we, um, we had to split between people that were already doing three other jobs too. You know, I don't know. I mean, this isn't trying to throw any part of one under the bus. It's more like you, um, no, these are just development realities. I mean, we just, we didn't know that we would be on so many consoles. So we designed for what we knew. Um, we didn't have a lot of budget. We didn't have a huge team. So we were all sort of chipping in on UI and UI is a massive, it's an entire discipline with trained specialists. And we didn't, you know, we weren't in a position to, to leverage any of those. None of this is an excuse. It's just things that happened along the way. Yeah, so a lot of the porting became, um, okay, like how can we make this work without having to rewrite an entire screen, you know, like effectively um, redesign, you know, because we don't want to, let's see, we we don't want to design the whole game differently for every platform, um, you know, so we really were trying to figure out just how to adapt. um, And... In a few cases, you know, I remember, yeah, I mean, I know we, we probably get more, 
more comments on it with Switch than anything else. But at the same time, I think Switch has been incredibly successful and I think is one of the best play experiences for the game, you know, once you just kind of get over a little bit of the learning curve with the with the UI. But um, but it, it's like such a perfect match for that platform. Um, but, you know, Switch didn't even exist, you know, when we started making Dark's Dungeon. We had no idea it was coming. And, you know, it's one of those, like, really happy accidents that... Uh, when it was announced, we're like, wow, you know, this, I think Dark Sunshine would be really good on it. You know, like it's, it's a perfect kind of play session based, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember some, some discussions during the switch porting where we were just like, okay, what buttons are left? Like, what can we, <laughs> you know, what combination of button presses can we make for this particular command? Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think given the restrictions, the team did a great job. Like the, the programmers and, you know, our producer, John, helped with that process. And our, our excellent QA uh, person, Kyle, um, and like our programmer, Pierre, who was working on the switchboard. Like, honestly, I think they did an amazing job. It was kind of like, you know, we, we set up some boundaries that were like, okay, we, you know, we can't rewrite entire screens. So given that, what can we do? Um, anything else would have made it take twice as long and, you know, twice as much. And we kind of made that call that it'd be better to get it out. And, you know, of course, functional, just maybe not, you know, not, uh, I don't know, you're not going to, you're not going to hold it up and be like, here's an example of, you know, excellent user interface. You know, it's more like here's an awesome game and it's got a little bit of clunky controls. Okay. We can look at that. Over the course of Darkest Dungeons uh, development, there's been a lot of efforts to kind of streamline it, make it more accessible to newcomers, uh, not lower the difficulty, but make it less uh, bruising. For example, when you lose an entire high-level party, it's a little easier to get new characters in the door and keep going. And I'm just wondering, like, what's it like to try and balance the desire to keep Darkest Dungeon a hardcore experience with the without, you know, having it go completely off the deep end, as it were? Uh, I think, you know, that's like what you mentioned there is kind of like reflective of radiant mode again. Oops, that pun wasn't intended. But um, but actually it was, <clears throat> I, I'm going to say simple philosophically because we really didn't want to compromise what Dark Dungeon's about. So uh, I think, you know, radiant mode, there's, a, there's kind of a good distinction to make there. We wanted to reduce the grind, um, not reduce the difficulty and that there are two totally separate things. And, um, you know, so, and you can play with the cost, you know, the, the, the consequences a little bit, but we, there was no part of us that wanted to um, compromise on, you know, being like, Hey, like there, we're not, we're not trying to reduce the consequences overall. We're not trying to make this game appeal to everyone. Um, so sen- because we had such a strong sort of like um, identity for what we wanted out of the game, uh, we didn't have to really wrestle philosophically with with some of those questions that might have turned the game into into what we didn't want it to be. Um, essentially, it was easy just to hold the line. We're like, we'd rather someone doesn't buy it if it's not for them than try to retrofit it and make it for them. But you know, the things like grind hours, like that goes back to sort of the comment I made earlier where um, it was never a design pillar. It was never a, a piece of identity of the game. We never said, you know, we want this to be a long We slot. set out to make the grindiest game <laughs> ever. Yeah. Yeah, it was more like we want your decisions to matter. We want it to be, you know, um, shockingly difficult in certain ways. But, you know, when you actually back up, you say, wait, you can't actually lose the game. You just can have setbacks. Um that, so to answer your question, like in a way it was easy because some of the ideas that would have like neutered the game, um, we just didn't really ever seriously consider because our goal was not to sell as many copies of the game as we could by, you know, uh, trying to appeal to everyone. Um, we were always trying to be very consistent about, um, you know, and there's always people that, you know, and I'm sure some of your listeners, someone will think, oh, well, you did sort of you know, it's, it's, it's not as hardcore as it used to be, or, you know, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different viewpoints on it, but I feel like we held the line pretty well and we never really compromised on what we wanted the game to be. Um, we just played, played around with the things that were kind of unintentional side effects. Yeah. I think tonally too, like we, we get a lot of hardcore just out of 
subject matter and the fact that there's permanent consequences and the fact that as a player on your first playthrough, you don't have a lot of operational intelligence. Um, we don't give you a lot, do a lot of handholding, like all of that contributes to what we wanted out of the game, which is a sense of foreboding and uncertainty and um, keeping players kind of uncomfortable. Um, so I, I think that that stuff is, is core to the IP doing like a hundred missions in the middle of the game. Like Tyler said, that's, that's not a central premise that we were really trying to execute on. Oh yeah. And just one bookend on that is, uh, however, none, none of the balancing is really easy, but it all comes down from, you know, honestly, like the, the way to make it easier is just have a strong philosophical, um, and, and creative identity, you know, because, a lot of balance really just comes down to who are you balancing for, what is your intent, and things like that. So it, it's very, very difficult, but you can make it at least somewhat easier by like outlawing where you don't want to be. You know, we don't, we never want to make it a, a a casual game, and we don't use that you know term as a you know like as an insult, but it's just Darkest Dungeon is not, you know, it's not the kind of game you'd recommend to someone who just wants to dabble. You know, it's not. We'd rather have an identity of what we want it to be. So two more quick questions. Uh, I'm sure that you know that Pokemon was announced uh, a few days ago. And I've seen some comments from people saying that uh, that turn-based combat from Pokemon is outdated and they should try something else, that the gameplay is old. Mm. And as a design team that uh, decided to go with turn-based combat, uh, command-based combat with their game, like... What do you think turn-based combat and com- command-based combat kind of brings to you the experience? That comment is ridiculous, first of all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm biased. Um, I didn't know it was announced because I've been down with the flu. So if I did see it was announced, I probably would have thought it was just a weird dream. Uh, no, man, ter- turn-based combat is here to stay, <laughs> here to stay like it just arrived. I mean, look, at the- there's so many games right now, I think, that are – they're hot with, with turn-based combat. It's it's really just a matter of some people would like the chance to think about what they're doing. You know, like it, it just focuses on a different set of skills. I have nothing against like the real-time stuff, but turn-based lets you you know solve a problem. I mean, chess chess hasn't gone away um, because it's a really solid, interesting you know problem to solve. Um, and I think turn-based combat really is that. You know, XCOM. Um, I've been playing Wargroove, which is basically, you know, Advanced Wars, but done really, really um, well. I'm playing on the Switch. That's great. I mean, yeah, Darkest Dungeon, I would love to be held up in the group when people say, what are some really good turn-based combat games? But I I don't think turn-based is a dated concept. I mean, people play board games. People play, you know. Declare things is dead. It's it's just like tripping over ourselves to tell everybody that things are dead. It's it's hard yeah. to like have, make a game where you're like, listen, your consequences are permanent, and if you screw this up, you're going to lose your character, and then turn around and make it like Twitch gameplay or something. So like for for us, I think turn based is is a great way to do it. We were really cognizant though of cutting down on a lot of the downtime of turn based combat. Like no no combat system is perfect, but certainly one of the big problems I personally have with with some turn based games is just how long it takes to resolve the action. And, and so that was a big focus for us when we were sort of conceiving of our of our combat system. We always knew it would be turn-based. Like Tyler's got an incredible acumen for systems and and uh, a rich kind of uh, rooting in, in board games. And so we always knew we wanted to do turn-based, but it was important for, for us to find a way of doing it in a way that was punchy and actually felt good. Because I think that's what gets missed out a lot of the time in turn-based games is you're still dealing with feelings you still want the player to feel something when they click the button even if it is uh, issuing a, a a command um and so we we played a lot with like you know the the zoom in and the, and the still frame poses and tried to make it as visceral and intense as possible and i think a, a big amount of credit goes to our our audio team at, at power up who, who did a great job of really selling all the attacks with these big booming sound effects. And so the result is yes, it's turn-based, but it still feels good on, from a visceral standpoint to click those buttons. I think that's really important. So I agree. Turn-based isn't going anywhere and there's a million ways you can do it. It's like saying the shooter is, is dead. Like, no, there's a million ways you can shoot stuff. We haven't even begun to unpack the ways in which people can be shot at. <laughs> Tell square Enix that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think also it feels like turn-based kind of went away for a while and then it's been roaring back. You know, we're, we're in another heyday of it. And um, I don't know, I just think like, you know, XCOM was a great uh, reimagining of the old XCOM and it spawned a whole bunch of games that look like it. Um, we can't help but notice that um, there's a whole bunch of Darkest Dungeon looking games. Um, you know, and we, we, you know, we, we all build upon what was before. I mean, we've, we've referenced some excellent old turn-based games, you know, that were influences for us. And, um, I think it's a matter of what do you want your play, what kind of problems do you want your player to solve? There's lots of reasons why you want there to be time pressure in some cases, but you know, like Chris said it really well, in this case, we'd rather, I don't know. There's a lot of things you're going to curse at anyway. If you lose a hero, we don't want one of them to be like, I was trying to click and I misclicked at the wrong spot. You know, when the timer was clicking down, like that's just not the experience we wanted you to have. We want you to be able to savor it. And um, I don't know the, you know, Chris is a wine drinker. It's like you, not, not every drink you have is, you know, you, you shoot it back. <laughs> like sometimes you want to savor it at, at your own pace. And um, I think that, you know, we want you to look at the things and think about, oh, God, I, I want to do A or B. I don't know which one. You know, if I do A, this happens. If I do B, this happens. Oh, I got to go with B. Um, you know, that's the mindset that we want. Yeah, but certainly, like, we would be remiss to retread exactly the same ground on a on a sequel. Uh, and, and we're keenly aware of that and 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 factoring that into our our design process like like tyler said we've seen many games that extremely directly inspired very obviously from from the way we structured our combat and uh i think to do what we did again literally would be a would be a mistake um so we're we're actively looking at ways to spice it up within the the sort of framework that we built so ultimately what are you most proud of from Darkest Dungeon, and how do you want to build on that for Darkest Dungeon Two? I, for me personally, uh, I'm I'm really proud to have authored um, this world made up of like all my favorite creative influences. I'm saying me and my just because I'm only speaking for myself. I certainly am not the only person involved. Um, but yeah, to to have built like this world that kind of is compatible with the cosmic lovecraft horror stuff but isn't derivative or or rooted in his exact fiction um the the low fantasy mixed with the superhero dna like just to be able to have crafted something out of all my favorite stuff and have people uh respond to it i think is i'm i'm really proud of that i'm really happy that the people could share what i find to be creatively cool and energizing and and that i was able to represent it in a way that that people found attractive that's again only that's just me talking about me my favorite topic (laughs) for me i think uh it's being able to submit something to the rpg genre and have it have it stick you know i think uh just have played so many wonderful rpgs and uh chris and i talked early on you know before we broke ground on this you know and I, i think i think i remember saying like you know or we, we both definitely agreed that we don't want to just uh, – it's an evergreen genre, but we, we felt like we needed to do something different. You know, there has to be room to do something new uh, within this amazing genre or else we don't really want to do it because we didn't feel our strength was going to be just kind of being state-of-the-art on all the current cool things. And we didn't have a big enough team. We didn't have funding. You know, all these Ray tracing. Like <laughs> – yeah, so we've got to do something new, you know, that that is like different enough to make people want to buy it, even if it's not the, you know, the biggest budget game, the, you know, all the, all these sorts of things. And so I think um, I'm just super proud that we were able to make an RPG that, you know, gets thrown around with some other, you know, incredible inspiring rpg names and that that still is just kind of a a cool shock um every time we i see the game referred to or or inspires you know other games it's just kind of a a really surreal experience having just grown up playing so many awesome game awesome rpgs so just being able to like find a little (laughs) an un 
claimed spot in that whole genre was is kind of surprising and, and amazing at the same time. Yeah, if you don't mind me praising you guys a little more, I, I remember the first time I saw Darkest Dungeon because it kind of just exploded out of the screen for me. The the art was so good and interesting and distinctive and very in my wheelhouse right from the start. And then as soon as I started playing it, I knew immediately that it was going to work because the the loop was basically perfect of the short term of going into the dungeon, trying to survive it, uh, how things could go horribly awry at any given moment. Uh, the the party building in particular, which is always, that is very squarely in my wheelhouse. And uh, mm-hmm. But then also just the, the horror aspects, um, the, the really horrifying enemies, especially the pig enemies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's uh, and, and then things like uh, getting around the campfire. And even though the characters didn't have a strong backstory per se, or a strong narrative, you saw their personalities popping up all the time in just little conversations, either when they were dealing with craziness or when they were around the campfire, it was really well done. Nice yeah, yeah. Thanks man. We're uh, really cool. I'm try and you're meet definitely it. The, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the target demographic. I mean, I think because you you play a lot of, I imagine you're a tabletop gamer too, mm-hmm. uh, and pen and paper and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, Dark's Dungeon is a love letter to a lot of those different things, like Chris said, um, crammed together with that very specific like theme and identity. And um, you know, we're lucky to have put together the right team to do it. Um, and I think that's one of the exciting things moving forward. Like I kind of mentioned at the beginning about just kind of transitioning out of the survival into the, okay, well, this is a thing now. So now what do we do? Um, it's been wonderful and being able to, to grow the team and add and, uh, and you know, it's, it's a surreal, but really cool experience to see things that are being created by the team that, you know, you don't, maybe you didn't exactly know that was happening and then they ta-da, and they're like, Whoa, that's amazing. You know, um, just as the team grows, you know, it's, we can take a lot of pride in helping them create amazing stuff. So I don't know, we're, we're super jazzed about the sequel and that's the bottom line is we wouldn't be working on it if we didn't feel like there's a lot more that we want to, we want to do in the, in the darkest dungeon universe, um, both thematically, mechanically, all those things. And that, that was a threshold that, had to get past for Chris and I to to want to um, you know choose that as the next project to work on, and it was a pretty easy decision, really. All right, guys, thanks so much. I really look forward to seeing how Darkest Dungeon Two translates to I don't know from going under the dungeons of the earth into I don't know mountains, snow. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious <laughs> to see how this all ends up. <laughs> We're enjoying the theory crafting. Yeah, it's uh, really cool to see. There was like a 20-minute video on YouTube <laughs> unpacking the teaser and trying to figure out what we were going to do. So that's that's really cool. Darkest Dungeon Skyrim edition? <laughs> uh, yeah, we got a lot of development ahead of us, but uh, we have a really good team, and we're, we're really excited by what we've what we've got on the hopefully, burn. Hopefully we can expect early access this year. It's been great talking to you. all right thanks guys uh and do you have anything else you want to promote before we uh let you go i don't know maybe just a quick thanks to everybody who bought and played the game or who went on reddit and got mad at the game or you know any of that stuff it's all been really fantastic to to see and it actually does have like a a profound effect on the team like because we all sort of stick our noses around the internet and we see what people are talking about and saying and um so yeah, e- even some random Reddit posts saying like, "Hey, good job, devs, on turning this patch around to fix a bug or whatever." Like, people, we see that. We, you know, it it seems sometimes that the internet is like this other world, but no, we we read that stuff and it and it matters. It means it means something to see that people respond to our efforts. So, uh, yeah, we really value our community and we want to, you know, honor them by making them suffer in new and exciting ways. Hmm. Oh, we do have a plug. Um, we just. Uh because we just got those copies. There's a collector's edition for um, Switch, a physical collector's edition for uh, Switch, PS4, and Vita, believe it or not, because um, I don't know, all the, uh, all the Vita manufacturing has you know is ceasing or whatever, and we, um, we were able to get those in, and I think those are just about to hit stores or may, maybe are in stores now. They're made by Merge Games, 
they're the same people that did our physical editions last year, but these are like deluxe collector's editions. Um, so I think those are probably just becoming available and they're limited quantities. They have some pretty cool inclusions in there. Um, they did a, a great job. So check that out. Uh, Merge Games, you know, just look for the Darkest Dungeon collector's editions. Those are just hitting now. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And I look forward to playing Darkest Dungeon 2. 